someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. We welcome sports broadcaster Nikki Noto Palmer. I'm Nikki Noto, and I'm coming to you from our Fox Sports Studio. This season of ESPN, you road trip. Coach, we've got to talk about your defense welcome real quick. Welcome to ACC All Access. The upcoming schedule for the Hornets. Hey there, Falcons fan. Welcome back to the Hurricanes Intermission Report. Back at the Walt Disney World Resort. I've got donuts, so that's all we need. Welcome to Sidelines and Storylines. September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and Jen's storyline is so worth sharing. Not only does she have a plethora of advice due to her two decades of experience in the radio TV industry, but she experienced a very difficult sideline moment when they got the call that their baby girl had cancer. Here's Jen's storyline. When you started doing radio, Mm -hmm. when was your first job? What year was that? Do you remember the year? Gosh, that's a great question. When I was in college, I started in radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and so probably like my junior or senior year at Florida State. Mm-hmm. So that would have been like 98 or 99. Yeah. <laughs> like that. And then when did you move to Atlanta? I moved to Atlanta right after graduation and started in radio shortly thereafter. My first job was at Lakewood Amphitheater. Um, and so I was, um, the assistant to the corporate sales manager there and got to see all the concerts that summer and work with all the big corporate sponsors. And it was a blast. And through that, I met all the radio stations cause they all came out to the concerts. Mm-hmm. And then my first like real job, um, in radio was at 95.5 The Beat. During your time at Florida State as a student and getting that hands-on experience in radio, what did that look like? And what was maybe just a memorable moment or experience through it all that really stands out in your memory that you love to look back on? So I started in radio at FSU and worked for a group um, of radio stations. There were five different formats there. Mm -hmm. And I really got to experience it all. Um, There was a really cool alternative rock format, which is the reason why I started there, Mm -hmm. um, because I loved that music at the time, and I just thought it was really cool, and... Who were some artists during that time? Oh, gosh. It was, like, right when, like, Foo Fighters were getting started, and, like, you know, everybody was into, like, Nirvana still, and, like... Yeah. um, Yeah, so, like, it, it was just, like, a cool... I mean, even it was just like a cool culture, right? Yeah. Like alternative rock thing. Um, And so, so I've started the internship with the company because I wanted to work with X1015. That was the station, huh? The station. Yeah. It was basically like a 99X ripoff, but I didn't know that at the time. Right. Right. (laughs) But, um, and um, in that group, there was an oldies station. So I would work at the oldies station on Sundays and play like oldies music while I studied for my classes. And then there was a smooth jazz and there was a sports talk station. And I was super intimidated by all the like gruff dudes that were like, you know, talking about sports. And then there was a country station there too. And the country station did a St. Jude's radiothon. And I was just an intern and I went to a Walmart and they broadcast for like 24, 48 hours straight, mm-hmm. raising money for St. Jude's and people came out of the woodwork to help. And they brought toys for the hospital and they donated money. And I just remember these, I, I was serving coffee to these country talk show hosts who were on the air for the whole time, nobody slept. And it was this like really cool experience. 
the first time I had really seen strangers helping strangers. I was like, you don't have a lot of money, but you're giving a bunch of money to this hospital for a stranger that you don't even know. And that was really what got me the bug. I was like, yeah, I want to be a part of what brings that together. I want to be a part of the magic that creates that kind of connection where strangers are helping strangers and communities come together to support one another. And so that really was my spark of Mm-hmm. that's what I want to do, you know, and I did a lot of television and throughout my career, like before having kids, I always loved dabbling in television and connecting in that way too. Um, and I just felt like radio was to me, um, a stronger connection cause it wasn't as scripted. Yes. Um, and it were my, it was my words and it was my ability to choose my words on the fly and that sort of a thing where I love television. And I love the way that that connects as well in such a different beautiful visual way, um, in so many creative ways, um, to me, it felt more authentic to go down the radio path as like the main part. Right. And which is fun because it's like now resurging with podcasts like yours Mm -hmm. and, um, the audio medium is exploding, you know, and Mm -hmm. it just, to me comes back to human connection Mm -hmm. and how, you know, from the beginning of time, humans, learned about one another through stories and through storytelling, you know, I mean, it sounds silly, but like we used to sit around campfires and tell stories. Right. And now we just sit around cool microphones and podcasts and tell stories. With landscapers in the background that (laughs) (laughs) we haven't, we haven't evolved all that much. Right. (laughs) You know? So Jen, I love that. First of all, I love your love for sports and you are a seminal through and through. Yes. No, probably one of my favorite stories of my journey was that my first ever interview was with Bobby Bowden <gasps> from Florida state. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. The legend. It was, it was something that I'll never forget. I'm just curious of that first moment. I, I, I go back down that path of going, I remember where I was. I remember what I was wearing. I remember what we talked about. I remember his Southern drawl and being so attentive and so intentional I'm curious if you remember that first interview that you had that was a spark plug for you where you knew this is what I want to do forever. Oh, that first interview. That's such a good question. Um, I knew the feeling that when I wanted to do radio forever, I knew the moment that I, I felt this powerful um, connection with radio. And I can tell you that story. As far as interviews go, um, there were a couple that um, were memorable. One for a good reason, one for a bad reason. The best interview ever was um, John Travolta. Um, He came through Atlanta with Joaquin Phoenix when they did that um, firefighter movie. I can't remember what the name of it was. Uh, Ladder 49 or something like that. Um, That sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like a million years ago. But anyway, they came through Atlanta, did a press junket with it. And John Travolta was so engaged in the moment. Mm -hmm. He was the only celebrity that I had ever met up until that point who was really present. Mm. He looked you in the eye. You didn't feel like he had a million other places to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was very present and he made you feel like the only human on earth at that moment, like incredibly charming and engaging in that moment. And um, he told me that I looked like Jenna Elfman and I was like on 
top of the world. <laughs> I see and, that. I totally see that. And, and we just had this like really nice conversation about the movie and about just what he was doing. But I think it was just his ability to be really present. Mm -hmm. It was the first time I had experienced that. Um, so that's a very memorable celebrity interview. Mm -hmm. And then the other one that was memorable for the wrong reasons was Julianne Moore. I got okay. to fly to LA for a press junket on a movie that she did that was terrible. It was like a comedy about aliens or something. I mean, it was an <laughs> awful movie. She probably knew it was an awful movie and was ticked off that she had to like sit there and do this press junket. And I was like, barely in radio. I had just been started maybe a couple of years. I wasn't as prepared for the interview as I should have been. Mm -hmm. And she gave me one word answers. Oh, I mean, I would ask her a question about filming and, you know, how it felt to do a comedy versus what she'd done in the past. And she was like, it's fine. Oh, the brutal, it's, okay. it's fine. <laughs> And I was like, <gasps> and then I would accidentally ask a yes or no question. You know, you're taught like in journalism, like don't ever ask yes or no, like ask something that's going to elicit more of an answer from people. Right. And she would just be like, yeah, no. I mean, I had five minutes with her and I maybe used three of them because it was so bad. And I felt, she just made me feel really dumb. And I could tell she did not want to be there. And mm -hmm. she felt like, bigger than that moment. Like I am she, like the, the impression, and maybe this is, maybe she was just having a bad day, mm -hmm. but, um, the impression that I got from her was like, I do not want to be here right now. You are a little twit of a reporter. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like she just yeah. made me feel like so tiny. So, but, but here's the thing is what I learned from that was to be more than prepared because right. I wasn't, that was the shortcoming on, on my end. Um, to be more than prepared for interviews, to um, do enough research that you could just talk to the person about something that had nothing to do with what you were there for, and to be able to just carry on a conversation with people, mm -hmm. even maybe when they're in a really bad mood and don't want to be at a press junket. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, oh my gosh, that's making lemonade out of limes. And those <laughs> interviews, oh my gosh, I... It's you're, you're, you're telling the story and I'm sitting here just wanting to just put my shirt over my face because I know them yeah. too well. I mean, in my world, it's football players who just lost a game and they don't want to talk to anyone. And they're yeah. like, who is this girl trying to talk to me? I just want to go home, go in the locker room, leave me alone. And coaches, the same thing. So oh, yeah. I get it. Oh my God. And you have to just like get them to say something because in your ear, your producers are going, get a sound bite, get a sound bite, yeah. get it out of them, get, get something. <laughs> right. Okay. So you bring up a great point and I love this because for people that listen, they might not understand the live elements that you as a host, and this is what I love about you, Jen, you're so great at acting on the fly and off the cuff. I mean, because you have to be right. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you're hosting your radio show and guest cancels at the last minute. How do you adjust on the fly? I mean, do you have things prepared in like a, in case of plan A, B, C and mm -hmm. how you just continue to roll on with the show? What does that look like? Well, I think that you've got to be authentic with audiences because right now everybody sees behind the scenes of everything, right? right. So maybe back in the day you could have said, um, you know, you could have come up with a storyline of what happened or something mm -hmm. like that. But now like 
everybody lives their life in front of a screen all the time. You right. know, I mean, if you get canceled on and you've been planning on an interview, I think you just have to be honest and authentic with the audience and then have somewhere next to roll. So that is yeah. being overprepared, having, you know, plan B um, or C. So, you know, with the radio show, um, the most recent one um, with Star 94, with Jen and Friends, um, we would always have like tons of personal stories ready to tell or mm -hmm. funny, interesting like games to play or subject matter. So we were always rolling like three or four deep on what we could grab out of the pile and talk about next. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's just, um, just from years and years of doing it and knowing that mm -hmm your plan A may not happen. So make sure you've got a B, C and D to lean on if you need it. When difficult things happen to you in your career as a public figure, what's maybe a piece of advice that you have for them that it doesn't set them back and, and potentially turn them off from a career in this field in general? Because I feel like now, like you said, everything is so public. A couple of different pieces of advice. Um, I would say, and I guess this would really be in any industry, but when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Um, Maya Angelou, didn't she say that? Yes. Mm. And it's so true. Yes. Um, if you, I would just say, you know, be careful in who you align yourself with. And if that is, um, if that's a choice that you're able to make, because mm -hmm. um, a lot of times in media, you're, you're placed in shows or you're put in things, but if there's a choice that you're allowed to make, just make sure that you're making those decisions with the right people. Mm -hmm. And if you've made decisions with the wrong people and you realize that you are in a toxic situation, like you've probably worked with toxic oh, yeah. people before, right? And not where, by choice, you're right. <laughs> where like you, can be sucked into it very quickly, right? Um, and so I think that if you're recognizing somebody that you work with as toxic, um, and toxic behavior is like tearing down other people and that sort of thing, just be aware that if there's somebody in your life mm -hmm. who tears down others, mm -hmm. they are tearing down you behind your back. Right. right, well, and it's also the, you know, you, you don't wanna burn bridges either, you know, and I think, uh, I had one of my friends too. They said, you're going to be remembered more how you exit than probably anything you ever did. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow, that is so true with how you handle you right. know, adversity in terms of, you know, when things don't work out, it, how right. you handle that. That's what people. Yes. And I would say, I mean, it's a place of privilege to be work in the media, mm -hmm. whether that's in sports or television or radio. And mm -hmm. I, I really do take that responsibility seriously. You yeah. were chosen, you were chosen for that job because of your strength of character. Mm -hmm. You have to continue to show that strength of character throughout adversity. Yeah. Um, and when the going gets tough, like is when you really see people's true colors, you know? Yeah. And I would also say like, this maybe is old school of me, but I don't think you have to broadcast your whole life on the internet. Mm. Um, I don't think you have to Insta story every moment of your life. I don't think you have to, um, you know, Snapchat everything or TikTok everything. Like, I think that you are allowed to, to have a personal life and you are allowed to process difficult times personally. 
And I would just say, be careful in those choices that you make, um, because as we've seen with so many different celebrities and stars, one tweet can change your life. One tweet. Well, and it never goes away. I mean, right. You're mad. You're upset at somebody. You're like, I'm going to get them back with this, you know, and you post it and just realize that future employers are watching that. They want to know how you're going to handle it when you have to go through tough stuff. Are you going to still be a class act? Are you still going to have your strength of character and who you are right alongside with you? You know, it seems easier to be dragged down in the mud of things. And sometimes that's really hard not to get sucked into. And I haven't always been the best at not getting sucked into our online arguments or conversations or people post something mean and you want to, you know, argue back and forth with them. Um, You have to remember that um, not everybody has the truth. Not everybody knows the full story and they're acting emotionally. And I think that if you're, you know, your original question was about, you know, people who want to get into media. And if you're going to be a leader, you have to be a leader throughout all of it. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that is taking a pause, take a deep breath, Mm -hmm. you know, don't post when you're angry and emotional and upset. Save draft, save draft. (laughs) Yes. That will, yeah. Oh my Exactly. It's like, you know, it's like an argument with your best friend or your family or your spouse. Like it's like sometimes take a deep breath because you can't take back some of those things that you say. Mm -hmm. Um, It's that emotional reaction when you just need to take a lap, you know? Exactly. Take a lap is so good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell my kids that too. I want to teach my kids that, you know, but they can physically all- take a lap, send them outside, let them walk the neighborhood yeah. and come back. <laughs> Cause they're, you know, we're all, you know, growing up in this, my, our kids especially are growing up where they, I mean, my kids are like, let me check that before you post it on Instagram. You know, they're seven and five, you know, wow. they're all very aware of all of that. And I just, mm-hmm. you know, I think that we should, be careful in some of those choices, especially when we're really upset, you know, and, you know, make sure you're careful who you align yourself with. I love hearing you say that about the Insta story thing, because, you know, I'm just a few years younger than you, but my age demographic, I feel like they feel as though they have to Insta story everything. And I think one thing that I try to tell probably younger people coming into the industry is figure out your brand, figure out what gives you life and share that with others. And I think too, um, yeah, there are just some things you just, just keep private, you know, be yourself, but it's finding that, that balance of being yourself, standing up for what you believe in. But at the same time, it's okay to keep things personal. And my husband was really great about that. He's a very private person. And when I would go, sometimes have to be right. Yeah. Yeah. They learn that early. For sure. And when I would go on, um, you know, certain shows or whatever, I always had to keep that filter because I, I, I mean, I'm an open book, but I'm very careful of what I share, but I always had to keep that filter of my family, specifically my husband, who I need to respect, who is very private. So, yeah. You know, the other advice I would say, and I thought of this earlier and forgot to say it, is don't define yourself by your career. That's a very dangerous place to be. 
for sure. Right. Define yourself by other things that make you, you, mm, the things you're good. passionate about. Define yourself by your faith, define yourself by your family and your relationships, because mm. those are the things that are going to mean the most in your whole life. Mm. Your career is very important and it should be a part of you. But if it's how you define yourself, ooh, mm. you're going to be in trouble. You are well, going to be in trouble because that job will go away Yep. Things will change, that stuff will happen, and then you've got a crisis of conscience. Like, you've got an identity crisis. Like, who are you if you are not the girl on TV? Who are you if you're not the guy on the radio? Who are you if you're not whatever? So don't let yourself be fooled into defining yourself by your career. Yeah, Have it be a part of you, a very important part of you, and love it, and give it your all. But don't let it be who you are because yeah. then, then you start acting crazy when things get pulled away and life's going to change on all of us. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, you've still got to be you through it all. That is such great advice. I know for me personally, when I first got into the TV industry, you, you're, you know, you have these exciting opportunities. You're, you have them like, white knuckles, right? Holding on them because you're going, Oh my gosh, if this gets taken from me, which they did from me in certain cases, you're right. It's this frantic erratic behavior that if you're not careful can overtake you and then you lose sight of everything else. And I just think that is fantastic advice. Let it be a part of your storyline, not your whole storyline because, and, and you are such a testament to that of, like you said, I mean, all of these sideline moments you've personally experienced, you have such a great privilege to share with so many people that that's, that's a part of your storyline, right? And just you being behind a microphone that gives you access and a medium to share that with people. But you being behind a microphone isn't everything either. You know, it's you right now in your, <laughs> in your office with Lauren next to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just figuring it all out. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the people that we look up to the most at the end of their life, mm. you know, had passionate careers. They did things they really believed in and that they loved and felt strongly about. But I think that what defines people at the, you know, at the end of our chance to be here on earth is, the people you love and, you know, the, the people you surround yourself with and care about and pour into. Um, and you can do that through your career. Yeah. But I think if your career is for the title, if your career is for the, the fame, the money, mm. the glory, the success, yeah. if that's why you're there, you should probably do something else. <laughs> Amen. I love that. Yeah. That is fantastic advice, Jen. Honestly, we need to hit quarantine because it seems like everyone and specifically in the media, media, right? Television, radio, all the things that our worlds got turned upside down. How was it for you in terms of what your job looked like and what it looked like planning content or, or lack thereof and having to adjust moving forward with everything? Yeah. Well, this year's been hard on everybody, you know, mm-hmm. and it's from a business side of things. Um, you know, businesses have all been hit really hard this year, yeah. and everybody's trying to find a way to survive and find a way to recover. Mm-hmm. So, I think the hardest part with that is just adjusting to change and not holding on so tight 
for all of us, no matter what you do, whether that's media that has been hit hard. I mean, some of, um, you know, some of my favorite people in Atlanta radio are not on the radio right now, you know, um, including my own show, you know, and it's, it's a tough business situation right now. Financially, you know, businesses are trying to figure out a way to make it through this. Um, and so I think it's just not holding on too tight to what was before and just realizing for all of us, whether you are an attorney or whether you're in education or whether you uh, are a mechanic, like life is going to change and life is going to be different. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be different through all of this. Um, the way our workplaces look after COVID, the way our lives look, um, yeah. it's just going to be different. So what I'm trying to do is just be malleable and, you know, like try to just ride the wave of what's going on right now and adjust as needed, but um, not lose your sense of self or forget about your own character because... Mm-hmm you know, tough times don't last, but tough people do. And I think that, you know, if you are tough enough, you will make it back and claw your way to wherever you're supposed to be. Um, So I think that's kind of from like my business side perspective on it. Um, Whereas I think radio and TV have been impacted. um, I think every business has, you know, I think everyone in every walk of life. Um, I know so many people who've lost their jobs this year. And are just trying to figure out, okay, so what's next? What happens after this? Um, and being open to p- potentially career changes completely, different industries, being able to use the skills and the smarts that you built in one industry and apply it to another, I think is going to be really important. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as when everything shut down back in March, when we were doing the morning show, um, we had to adjust our content completely. Um, Even though we recognized that we were a place or a show that people would go to, to be in a good mood and to feel happy and, you know, maybe take their mind off of their stress. You can't ignore what's happening in the world. So um, we tried to do our best on acknowledging what was going on around us and our city and our community because being local was so important to us. And then also um, what was going on around the world and, um, you know, from the perspective of the pandemic and also the racial reckoning that we are in the midst of this year. I mean, good Lord, 2020 is here to change things up. It is here to change our perspective. And if we don't change with it, we've missed out on all the lessons of this year, you know? Absolutely. And, and you mentioned education and my gosh, I mean, you're married to a superintendent of Marietta city schools, which is a, a huge responsibility for your husband, Grant walking alongside him, right. With this journey and the magnitude of what it meant for him and his job and the decisions he had to make and, and all of that, that had to be incredibly difficult, but yet also inspiring to watch grant, you know, adjust with so many unknowns at hand, something that no one has ever dealt with before. It's, it was the most stressed I've ever seen him in his career. At first it was in shutting down, right? So March, everything shuts down. Then how do you get kids fed? Number one, right? Right. So his, his North star never changes. It's kids. What's best for kids. Mm -hmm. And second to that, what's best for his staff, you know, his teachers, his food and nutrition folks, his school bus drivers, his, 
his people. So first it's, we still got to feed kids because kids get fed through the school system. So that was the first figuring out how do we do that in the midst of a pandemic and not spread this virus further, but still be able to take care of kids and their food and nutrition folks, their school bus drivers, they mobilized quickly on that and were delivering foods and meals immediately to every kid in the district. And then it was, okay, we got to switch to this online learning space. How do we make sure every kid has a chance to do that? So how do we mobilize um, getting the laptops? They're lucky in their school district that they've got a one-to-one, one laptop to, per kid. So how do we get those out to families? How do we get them at home? And then it's like, okay, well, what if they don't have a strong internet connection at home? How do we do that? So they mobilized Wi-Fi hotspots on school buses. So school buses would drive up into apartment complexes and little kids would come and sit out on the grass with their laptops and use the Wi-Fi provided by the school system. So there was so much navigating in there and resources were thin, right? So at that time, masks were thin, you know, PPE gear was thin, um, you know, even, even Wi-Fi and, you know, all that kind of technology. So I think that was the first stress. Um, which was stressful, but there was action to take at that time. The, the most difficult part was how do we get back? Because um, there's just been a lack of leadership in this country on how to handle it. Nobody wanted to be the fall guy or gal. Nobody wanted to fall on that sword. So it all trickled down to each superintendent for each school district um, where no, there were very few guidelines to follow. I, it was kind of like, well, do what you think, <laughs> you know? And so, and that's from my perspective. I don't know that Grant would say the exact same thing, but as a spouse watching it all go down, that was my perspective was, we should be following health experts. I don't care what party you are, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's about human health. Mm -hmm. um, and this pandemic has become very politicized, which is surprising. and. I don't really understand that because it's about saving lives and you know, I want to save your life. I don't care what party you vote for or you're a human being. Right. right. So um, I think that that's been the hardest part was, and, and grants tried to make every decision following the guidelines of Cobb Douglas public health officials. Mm -hmm. So what those health officials have been able to provide as far as like COVID numbers in the community has guided every decision that he's made on getting kids back in school. Um, and that's, that's the best way he knows how to make decisions is just mm -hmm. by the numbers and by the science. Um, although there's a lot of other pressures in order to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, there's pressure from parents who have got to get back to work and have got to figure out a way to do that with kids at home. There's pressure, you know, from, you know, the political side of things to get things back open, get businesses back open, get the economy rolling again. And all those things are incredibly important. Mental health of our kids, you know. Yeah. But I think that the leading, leading his decision-making has been the science. Is it safe to put our teachers back in classrooms? Is it safe to put our kids back in classrooms? Mm -hmm. End of story. Yeah. If that's, a, if that's a yes, let's move forward. And I think they have like 23 different mitigation strategies to prevent the spread of COVID in classrooms. So wow. in Marietta City, every kid's got, um, that's been back in like pre-K through second, has been back in a hybrid setting. Um, and then also special needs kids through fifth. And so everybody's had um, partitions on their desks, face masks are required. Wow. They're outdoor dining. 
which is so cute. They call it outdoor dining. Al, <laughs> Al fresco. <laughs> Al fresco dining, uh, which is great. Um, and those are just to name a, a few. There's like so many different mitigation strategies to make sure that we're doing our best to keep our kids and our teachers safe. So um, I think watching him go through that is the most stressed I've ever seen him because he really felt the weight of every decision mm -hmm. um, and didn't want to put anyone at any unnecessary risk. Um, but at the same time knows how much our kids need school and how much we need community and need one another. Yeah, absolutely. You guys have such a heart for, for children. I know you've been very open about what it was even like to have your firstborn Lauren. Um, and then probably, I mean, arguably the biggest sideline moment you ever had was with your daughter Reese and finding out that she had cancer. And with September being um, Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month, I'd love to just maybe talk to you a little bit about that journey, what it looked like for you, what you learned, how you guys navigated that as a family and what it looks like now with her being um, cancer free. So what was it like when you got that call about Reese and, and what were maybe some telltale signs leading up to that moment that, because we have that mom intuition, right? Mm -hmm. um, what were some of the things that maybe were going through your head of going, there might be something different here that we need to look into? Yeah. Well, she was still a baby. And so she wasn't talking or anything yet. So um, at about nine months old, we started realizing that our very like happy, go lucky, go with the flow baby was really uncomfortable in her car seat. Mm -hmm. And we just thought that was weird. We're like, what is, do we need to adjust the seat? You know, and you're like trying to like change the angle on it or whatever. She was just really uncomfortable in her car seat. And we could tell she did not like being in it. And then um, her nanny at the time, because I had gone back to work, she had a nanny and her nanny and her dad and I recognized that she was having dry diapers. Her diapers were too dry for too long. We were like, what's going on here? This is weird. Um, so we took her in and she was at CHOA for about a week and we were sent home and they thought it was like a urinary tract infection or some sort of urinary issue. So um, I, when they sent us home, this is, it was like the most awful. We had a catheter. Um, so we had to catheterize our own baby to like drain the urine from her bladder. And it was horrible. Imagine trying to keep a nine month old still so that you can put a calf nope. in. That was awful. And after a f like three or four days of that, things weren't getting better. Things weren't getting better. I was like, we need answers. Like this is not okay. So we went back to the pedi pediatric urologist who was like really hesitant to, push forward for anything new. Like this is going to clear up. It's going to get better. And it was really crazy because like you said, the mom instinct kicks in and I yelled at a doctor and I'm a pretty respectful person, but I was like, you have not figured it out yet. I was like, you have not figured it out yet. I was like, and I don't care who I have to go to to get an MRI. We need an MRI. There's something wrong with her and you have not found it. And he was like, younger than me, you reach an age in life, you're probably not there yet, but you reach an age in life when doctors are becoming younger than you and you're like, this is really weird. <laughs> like, yes, so ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am to me, he left the room. Uh, we also were calling everyone we knew and um, there is an amazing woman, her name is Pam Yonker, who my husband knew through um, like coaching her kids when they were in school. We called Pam, who was pretty high up at Children's and we said, Pam, 
we need your help. And she's like, what can I do? We're like, we need an MRI. So after yelling at the doctor and after calling our friend Pam, who's amazing, um, about 30 minutes later, we had an MRI scheduled for the next morning. And so we went in the next morning and that's when you say, what was that call like? It's actually knee to knee with the doctor after getting that MRI. And they said, we found something and it's not good. You know, we think it's cancer and we don't know what kind yet, but you guys are not going home. And that's when we were admitted to the hospital um, and got further testing to find out what exactly type of tumor she had. It was a germ cell tumor and specifically it's called a sacrococcygeal teratoma. Okay. Yeah. I won't I try to repeat then, that. Yeah. All of a sudden you have to become an expert on words and acronyms and things that you never thought you would ever know about. And um, you become well-versed in the ways of the hospital and um, how that little microcosm of a community works together. Um, and you start to learn who your people are because everybody steps up to support you. And, um, you know, we're just so grateful for the community around us, our family, our friends, everybody that stepped up in big ways. Um, and, you know, and the experts at Children's um, are incredible. We're so lucky in Atlanta to have that resource. Um, and to have the oncology team at the Aflac Cancer Center, I mean, they're just mm -hmm. angels on earth, I'm telling you. Um, you know, and, and our faith led us through too, you know. Um, I, I believe in the power of prayer and mm -hmm. I felt so lucky to be on the radio at the time because there was a whole community praying for our daughter and for her healing. And I feel like all those things combined really got our family through it to the other side and then when you come through something like that you're like gosh how do you tell a doctor thank you for saving my child's life um and the best way we could come up with that was to support research so we started yeah, you don't just send cookies right <laughs> yeah you send cookies on christmas and then you see you really get to work so um you know you talk about sideline moments i do feel like it sidelined us for a little while we were like, okay, I was like, okay, I'll quit my job. We'll move wherever we need to move. We'll, you know, everything in your whole life goes on hold. And then after coming through it, it was like, you know, I actually think this is why I have my job. Mm. Like, I think this is why in God's plan I was ever in radio was to give a voice to others who need help and families who need support. And to share her story and to share our family's story through it, I think connected with so many people in ways that it wouldn't have had I not had the privilege of having a microphone in front of my face in the morning. And so, you know, I feel really um, dedicated to that forever is you know, not only will we fund for research um, because we've learned so much about how kids get small doses of adult chemotherapy. You know, they don't have chemo that's just for them. Mm -hmm. And the long-term effects of this chemo is life-changing. You know, mm -hmm. kids lose their limbs, they lose their hearing, they could be cured from cancer, but changed, their brains change because we're pouring in adult size chemotherapy into their little bodies because we don't have any other choice. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we've got to continue to fund because only 4% of federal funding goes to childhood cancer research. Wow. It mostly goes to adult cancer research. Yeah. All of it's important, but we've got to have it for our kids. So that's why organizations like Children's, like AFLAC, 
um, like, uh, like Cure, you know, Cure Childhood Cancer. Um, they do incredible things for research and supporting families. St. Baldrick's does incredible things. So, you know, you get into this space where you learn a lot and you're wholly focused on your child's recovery. Then, then through that recovery and through that journey, you learn so much and you don't unlearn it. You know, you don't ever go back to life before. You learn that families need so much support. So that's why I do a lot with Atlanta Ronald McDonald House because people come to Atlanta for treatment from all over the place and they have to leave their homes, leave their jobs. And you can't afford a hotel room if your kid's got to be in the hospital for three months or five months or two years. So Ronald McDonald House takes care of families who are displaced and need the best care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just, you learn so much and then you realize that your life has to be there to serve others and do so much. Um, you know, I know so many families that, um, just really rely on that support. So, um, anyway, I could talk about that for much longer than your podcast has time for, <laughs> but it is one of those sideline moments that changes your story forever. Now it is our story. Right. You know? And as a family, as a family, I think it changed so much for us. You know, we got closer together. Um, my parents moved up from Florida. You know, my parents um, came up for every one of her hospital stays. They would come up and take care of our older one, Lauren, so that her little routine could stay the same and she could sleep in her own bed at night and she didn't have to change a lot. She just had different people taking care of her. And after after the whole experience, my parents were like, why do we live in Florida? And you guys live in Georgia, (laughs) you know, and they live in Georgia 45 minutes from us right now, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that your priorities really shift, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and your faith shifts and your priority shifts and everything from there, your perspective just, it doesn't go back. Right. Yeah. How long has Reese been in remission now? You know, it's funny. That's a funny adult word for cancer, remission. Um, Uh, For her, it is, um, so she was, um, they, they said no residual signs of tumor. And that was in January after her treatment in like 2016 and then 2017, but then they monitor them closely because that that her type of cancer can come back. So they monitor her closely for like two to three years. And if it doesn't return in that window, then they kick you out. So they just kicked us out to survivor clinic. So I would say, and that our first survivor clinic appointment was just this June. Okay. So from 2016 to 2020, it's been, it's actually been like, four years and just a couple of weeks from mm-hmm. diagnosis to now. So, um, so she's really been cancer free since early 2017, but we weren't hundred percent sure of that until you watch it for a while. And every type of cancer is different. So kids who have leukemia, like once they go through their treatment and they're cured, they're cured. Yeah. Other types of cancers, you have to monitor and watch, or Mm -hmm. there's a high return rate of, you know, a a high reoccurrence of it. Mm -hmm. So um, it it all depends on the type of cancer and the child and the treatment and that kind of a thing. Right. And through all of this, you guys created uh, Reese's Magic Fund. Yes. And what does that look like for you guys right now? And and how much have you raised since the, the, 
beginning phase of you guys creating this fund in her name? So at this point, I think we're somewhere over 200,000 towards research and it goes back to um, directed research under her oncologist. His name is Dr. Thomas Olson um, and he is a lead oncologist around the world. So he brings doctors together from six different continents to share wow. what they've learned about germ cell tumors. Um, so it's germ cells, which also is like ovarian cancer in kids. Can oh, you wow. believe that kids have ovarian cancer, testicular cancer? Um, and so they share this information all around the world with doctors, not only in the US, but in six different continents. And so we feel like it's really saving lives around the world. Um, wow. So their consortium is called the Magic Consortium. It's the Malignant Germ Cell International Consortium. So that's where the money goes back to. They've studied Reese's case. They've studied cases um, from all over the world to make sure that not only do we cure this type of cancer, but we have better outcomes for those kids so that they have um, just really, you know, happy, healthy, and productive lives after cancer. Wow. Um, and this year it does look a little bit different. I think fundraising is in a whole different space this year. You know, anybody who's in nonprofit work will tell you it's a, a tricky thing to navigate right now because we know that so many people are hurting. We still want to fundraise, but we also know that this is a tricky year for that. So, right. um, you know, last year in 2019, we were able to host the inaugural Ring the Bell benefit. Mm -hmm. because um, kids get to ring the bell or anybody be who beats cancer gets to ring the bell. And so we want more kids to ring the bell. Um, and it was a really awesome event. We had live performance from the American Idol. Maddie Poppy was there and it was at Glover Park Brewery in Marietta, sponsored by some awesome Marietta businesses. And we raised over 50,000 for our first event, which we were so excited and proud of this community for doing um, and really wanted to continue that into this year. And then as everything changed, COVID changed that. And we just right. thought, you know, this year we're going to put it on pause. We can't be together in big groups anyway. Let's wait until it's safe to do so. And we'll try to, you know, fundraise in other ways online and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then we'll bring back the big benefit fund live music event when it's safe. Right. What is Reese's personality now that she's older, uh, what are, what's she into? What's Lauren into? What does life look like with two precious little girls? It's so fun right now. You know, I've always liked being a mom, but now I really love being a mom. Yeah, like, you just survive for a few years, you know what I mean? And then right. you get to enjoy their little personality. Yeah. So Lauren is seven and she is way into Harry Potter. We started reading it together during the pandemic. And so, so we are on now the third book. We're on Prisoner of Azkaban and we are loving it. So <laughs> that's kind of our obsession right now is like Legos, Harry Potter, um, instead of a vacation this year, we got a trampoline. <laughs> so, um, they're bouncing on the trampoline all the time and, and loving it. Yes. Um, bouncy houses and trampolines everywhere are sold out since March. I know. I know. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Parents are like, help me get this energy out. Um, and, um, and Reese skips everywhere she goes. If that tells you anything about her personality, she's just a happy kid, super curious. We always say if Reese walks into a room, you can be sure that everything will be out of place when you come back to it because she will just like take things apart, put them back together. She like yeah. has a thousand purses and hides things in her purses all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but she's just a really happy go lucky kid. And, 
Um, we're, we're glad she doesn't really remember her cancer journey. Right. You know, she's way too little to remember it, but she knows it through pictures and she understands that, um, that she's really strong and a warrior and it'll be a part of her story. Right. Um, but I don't know that she remembers any of it, which is really great. Yeah. Jen, you are so great at connecting with people. I mean, of course that's what you do for a living, but in your heart, you're, you're so great at inspiring others, giving other people advice, lifting them up and putting a smile on their face, whether it's them listening to your show or through a text or them knowing you in general. And I'm curious, you know, I had, I had someone tell me sometimes the encourager needs to be encouraged. And I'm curious, especially with these sideline moments that you've experienced who are those people that encourages the encourager like yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, my partner and best friend, my husband, for sure. Um, I think that's, you know, the most important choice in life. And um, I haven't always gotten that right. Um, but Grant is a great encourager. Um, and he's somebody who is... Um, we call each other sometimes, this sounds very clinical, but we call each other thought partners. <laughs> and he is my thought partner in thinking through decisions or tough times or tough things. And, um, and so, um, so I would say him first. And my parents are great encouragers as well. My dad's always very encouraging. And helps me th see things for what they are. You know, just recently at the radio station, we went through a format change and mm -hmm. that changed our show and was really, you know, I took it really personal and, you know, and had a, a hard time with it. My dad was like the one that was like, okay, look, this is, you know, this is a decision that is made because of this, this, and that, you know, he just helps me look at things analytically, you know, where my mom's like, are you okay? <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's there for me emotionally, you know, right. and I'm, and I'm allowed to, uh, you know, to be sad a little bit with her. And then, you know, with my husband and my dad, they're like, okay, here's, here's a way to look at it. And from a different perspective, and here's what's going on this year around the world, around the country, the economy's just having a tough time. And yeah. Um, so I would say that. And then I have a really close knit group of girlfriends who are just like therapy for me. Yep. You know, they are my nearest and dearest and they could not care less what my job is. They could not care less about anything other than like my, you know, happiness. And so I, they always help me work through whatever tough time I'm going through, whether that's, you know, whether that was Reese's cancer or whether that's just, you know, this pandemic or, you know, whether that's job stuff or, you know, a lot of my job changes have been very public and yeah. not always so kind. Um, and so it's great to have that group of girlfriends who like know the real story. They know the nitty gritty, you know, and, um, they know the story all along the way. So I would say they are my encouragers. Right. And they're also going to check in with you, Jen, and say, Hey, is there a reason you didn't brush your teeth today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, girl, you need to get your roots done. <laughs> That's <laughs> what they're going to need to say. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So Jen, these are questions that the last questions I usually like to ask my guests, you know, when the Jen Hobby Rivera story goes live one day on the TV, 
screen over the radio waves. Is there anyone that you would love? Because you've gotten to interview, a, I mean, a ton of people, right? Uh, is there anyone that you would love to essentially be the narrator, the play-by-play of that story? Who would it be and why? Oh, this is such a good question. Hold on. I want to think about who would I want to narrate my story? You know, like a lot of people, they hear that voice of God, Morgan Freeman, and they're like, <laughs> yeah, I want, or okay. I had. I, um, the only name that is coming up right now is Brene Brown, because oh. I am such a devotee of her, wow. and I love all of her books. I'm obsessed with her podcast. Her podcast has gotten me through this pandemic. So if anybody was going to narrate my life right now in 2020, my answer would be Brene Brown. I love that. Is that someone that you would just die to interview one day? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think if I interviewed her, I would just turn her into my therapist. (laughs) I would be like, okay, so here's what I want you to know. This one time I worked with this one person and then they like shamed me all over the internet. Like, how do I handle that? You know what I'm saying? Like I would ask her about shame because she's this shame researcher shame and expert. like, she's so, um, you know, well researched in that. And I would, I would ask her about all the shame experiences in my own personal life. Like I would yeah. be like, sorry, this isn't an interview for anybody else. This is just for me. Right. <laughs> Actually, no one's going to hear this but me. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I would love to interview her because I think she's just got such a wealth of knowledge that would help. Mm. That really helps people work through their crap. You know, right. she's I got that know. Texas hoop spot too, you know? Yeah. She I love does. that about her. She's like gritty and self-reflective as well. Like when she's mm-hmm. getting, and she's not afraid of these like difficult conversations that we need to be having around race, yeah. you know, around all these systems and castes in our society that we just need to get rid of. She's the real yeah. deal. I love that answer so much. <laughs> I, I feel like though, if you did, you would just still have to send me a private zoom link just so I can tune in. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share a little bit with me about those sideline moments, many of which have been very public for you. And I appreciate your honesty, your authenticity, and, and also just your resiliency too, of being able to figure, we, we've already talked about you. There, there is no balance, right? We can't juggle it no. all, but we can no. sure as heck try and <laughs> Yeah. Someone watching you from the sideline, you're, you're doing a heck of a job. And it is such a privilege for me to know someone like you is behind the mic and inspiring so many people on and off the air. So, well, right back at you. I think you're rocking it and such an inspiration. Mm. And I'm so excited for your family. Keep sharing Mm. pictures of those kids. They are so dang cute. They're wild. Oh yeah. We learned so much from them. (laughs) I wish you nothing but the best just going forward with, um, you know, your efforts with Reese's magic fund, with your job, with supporting a superintendent through this crazy time. My God. Crazy year. And being a mom. Thank you so much. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to be inspired by you and share more of my life on social. Cause I feel like I'm like the opposite. I'm like not good at sharing things. Mm -hmm. I just forget. Like I just get busy with things and forget. So I'm going to take that. Um, and I also wanted to share with your audience that I'm, um, getting a chance to do a Ted talk this year. (gasps) That's amazing. 
So um, I'll share that on my social media. So if you can share with people to follow me on Instagram, it's just at Jen Hobby. I'll be sharing yes. information, but it's a, it's a TEDx event, an official like TED sanctioned event in Alpharetta. Um, and I'll be recording can people come? it. Well, people can't come because we can't have events this year, but you can, okay. um, you can get a ticket virtually. They're $15 okay. and it's all like incredible speakers. And the whole theme is called seek. So it's seeking. Okay. okay. And my TED talk is going to be about seeking a new definition of success. Mm. So that's my only little hint is that we're throwing out the ladder and we're going to okay. replace the ladder with something else. Um, and that'll be coming up in November of this year. Um, okay. so I'll be sharing about it online, but I would love for you to attend and I would love for you to share with your friends to attend. It'll be a virtual event, um, this year. Um, although I'll record the talk in person, like on a soundstage. Okay. Well, uh, thanks so much for sharing that. And I'd also yeah. love for you to share with where people can donate to Reese's Magic Fund as well. Yes, um, it's really easy. Out. It's reesesfund.org. Um, okay. And I, of course, have a link in bio for, um, my, from my social media at Jen Hobby. And um, yeah, that money goes right back to um, Childhood Cancer Research. So we would appreciate, mm -hmm. appreciate it. It's reesesfund, R-E-E-S-E-S-F-U-N-D.org. Got it. Yeah. I'll put it in the show notes too, so that it can be linked. Cool. Well, thank you so much again. I appreciate your time. I know that you're a busy woman juggling all the things. <laughs> I'm going to go back to being a second grade teacher now. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Thanks so much for listening to Sidelines and Storylines. Jenna's behind the microphone for so many reasons. Her talent, relatability, and ability to influence and encourage so many listeners. Also, if you feel inclined, please donate to rhesusfund.org. You can check that link out in the show notes as well. And together, let's help the research for childhood cancer. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.